Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and a Bird Show. We're a little late this week. You know, this this was a, a motorsport-filled weekend. It, As I described uh, yesterday, it is the biggest hype with the lowest race, lowest uh, enjoyment of race uh, weekend. Okay. It's a very hype-filled weekend, um, both in the U.S. and abroad. Um, but I don't think either of the races are all that in a bag of chips as far as the racing goes. Well, I don't know about the NASCAR race. I didn't watch the NASCAR race and wasn't even referring to anything that involved NASCAR. But, but that was part of my point, though, is that there's three big races this year. At least I hear three of them are big. I know two of them are big. Let's go Supposedly with the NASCAR are... one is supposed to be big, too. Let's go with two of them are big because we know that two of them are big. Okay. Because that's what matters to us. So we'll start really quick with the Indianapolis 500, the 102nd running. Yes. Will Power won his first ever Indianapolis 500, which if you think about the length of, of Will Power's career and how much time he spent in IndyCar. He's like run most of the 102nd runnings of the uh, 102 or runnings. He's, he's not that old. <laughs> oh, Okay. But in all that he's accomplished in IndyCar, to think that he has yet to win the Indianapolis 500 is kind of staggering. Not anymore. Yep. Um, but friend of the show and um, our favorite Formula, former Formula One driver, Alexander Rossi, came in fourth from the back row. Yeah, that was pretty huge there. I mean, I think that if you were going to get points for most places gained in a... <laughs> in, in an Indianapolis 500, it, Alex deserves a nod on that one. Yeah, really big showing, especially since overall, the word that we're hearing is that the racing wasn't that great this year. That the new aero kit um, led to the racing to be rather processional with the drivers really holding off about a second behind their closest rival wow maybe they should you know take a note to not do that since formula one's been fighting the arrow kit problem for a long time well what they've talked about is i guess the effect that this has is if you're in the front and you're behind the leader there's a fairly significant toe that's available to you oh. so you you have that that hole that's been punched in the air that you can draft behind the car in front of you and get some extra speed out of it. But as you get deeper into the pack and get further back, you lose that effect of the toe, and instead you're just dealing with the dirty air, and you're losing downforce. Ew. Sound familiar? Sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, this aerodynamic grip is not good for great racing. I mean, I think that that's the thing that we have learned. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I This is the first that I've heard talk of uh, that the oval aero kit is not great. So we'll see what they do with this, or if they do anything with it. But the good news is when we go see IndyCar in mid-Ohio, it won't be on an oval. It'll be on a proper road course, and therefore we will have good racing. We hope, because last year was kind of dull. Oh, yeah. We hope. But we have a good spot for racing. We have a couple. Well, yes, but we have like a really good spot for our RV, too. Yes. So moving on to Formula One. 
Because, I mean, we don't have a whole lot to say about IndyCar. Sorry. We didn't even watch it. Well, that's part of the reason why we don't have a lot to say about it. Yeah, see there. So before we jump into Formula One, let's really briefly talk about the standings in the Fantasy GP League. And no, unlike in previous weeks, I do not have a segment. Which is really scary because you did really well this past week. Yeah, I kind of nailed it this week. I'm very, I'm actually, I'm very, very impressed. Big nods to you. You have shot up to first place in the league, and you're like 50 points ahead of your closest rival. That's probably the biggest lead we've seen so far. Now, the big thing to remember, though, as everyone keeps telling us at all of the races, is that it's a long season, and we've still got another, what, 15 races to go. So anything can happen, especially in the Fantasy GP League, because there's still a lot of points on offer. So, yeah, 50 points is great now. In two weeks, that could be like a deficit of 40. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy the top spot while you have it Um, because, you know, we've we've all kissed to the top spot a little bit, well, except for the boy, Um, and you fall quick. Yeah, um, big move. You moved up as well. You moved up a spot, and, yeah, it's 50-point difference, but you gained – significant you moved up one position and quite a few points uh aggro's over in third phil's over in fourth falling back three three places after taking the lead last week that's why this league can really move around and then over in the back markers (laughs) sorry uh, sorry officially you guys have have reached the have earned the classification of back markers um the boy also had a, a terrible week and as a result, Richard's pulled up within five points of him. Hey. Well, you know, I think it's important that everybody still has a chance because you're right. There are 14 races left in the season, a lot of points on offer. And truthfully, I kind of expected that Monaco was going to be one of those races where it is you either roll the dice and get it really right, which is what you did. I mean, you yeah. nailed the finishing positions you got first second third and the bonus for getting all three of them right um and i think if it had rained all bets would have been off oh yeah it would have been like singapore last year but the thing is it was you roll the dice you either get it right like you did or you're gonna get it wrong i mean and there's no oh i can hedge my bets because it's gonna be a hamilton vettel one two yeah, it wasn't going to do that. And yeah. so, yeah, I I struggled mightily. And I said that last week. I struggled mightily on what to pick. And um, I got it a little more wrong than you did. But you did great. So congratulations on your top spot. I, I just, I thank Daniel Ricardo for letting me lick the stamp and send that letter. Uh, you just <laughs> love that line. <laughs> I just thank Daniel Ricardo for not inquiring of the royal family of Monaco to drink from his shoe. <coughs> yeah, but he did offer to share his champagne, <coughs> which was not as well received. Well, Prince Albert, I think, <coughs> shared his champagne. Princess Charlene, uh, there's no chance that that woman drank anything out of that bottle. No, not at all. No. So before we talk a little more about Monaco and everything that happened— First, we need to talk some other Formula One news. Um, Hockenheim has come out this week and said that um, under their current contract terms, unsurprisingly, they cannot continue to host a race. Okay. 
Now, as you recall, Hockenheim's deal is only to host the race every other year. So it's not clear whether or not this is based on the current schedule, they can't do this, or if there's pressure for them to do this annually, which we know they absolutely can't do. But word is, is that they have gotten wind of the deal that has been offered to Miami, and they want the same thing. Oh. So the Miami deal that was offered is that unlike every other track but Monaco that has to pay a hosting fee with, a, I believe the estimate is a 5% escalator clause every single year, Miami's being offered a similar deal to Monaco. They don't have to pay the hosting fee. Yeah. Instead, Formula One will do a, a, a revenue share with the organizers in Miami. Interesting. So that's what Hockenheim wants, is they want a similar deal. They, they can host the event with minimal financial risk to them. Obviously, there's some cost because you're still hosting an event there. But they're not incurring an additional loss because they've got to pay the race hosting fee to Formula One, and instead they're dividing the take of the ticket. So in this case, it becomes that much more important for Formula One to get behind the promotion of the event to encourage more people to attend. Well, yeah. I mean, I love the idea of the rev share because, I mean, if you think about it, so, okay, in the traditional model, they pay a hosting fee. And let's just make this non-stupid number so that everybody can kind of do the math in your mm-hmm. own head. Let's say that hosting fee is $100. Mm-hmm. You've got to make tickets equal to $200 to make a $100 profit. Total ticket sales. Total ticket sales. Correct. You have to make $200 make a $100 profit for the promoters. Mm-hmm. So the first $100 that comes in the tickets is covering the cost of the hosting fee. Now, under the traditional model, if they made $400 in ticket sales, they would the promoters would get $300 profit. Right. They could bank every dollar over what the hosting fee cost. This new concept of a model where it's a complete rev share puts the onus on Formula One group to help the promoter promote the event so now not all of the burden to promote it is on the promoter because they're going to take some piece of the door Mm -hmm. but they're not going to charge them a flat hosting fee so you're not so it's no longer the hundred dollars to purchase the rights to have the race and then you're going to incur all of the promotion costs you're going to say okay well if i get four hundred dollars in the in at the gate and i'm going to split it 50 50 so yeah, maybe Formula One Group's going to make a hundred dollars more on the on the event because they're going to get two hundred dollars now, but the promoters got two hundred dollars with less costs. Yeah, essentially yes. I don't think I don't think these deals can be structured in a manner that will bring Formula One more money, just because of the 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 amount of money that. Bernie had negotiated these tracks to pay for or to pay in order to host the event. Well, I think that that's the extortion <clears throat> side. Yes. I think if we get really honest about what the it should cost truly to host an event, um, what's a fair number mm-hmm. for it to host an event, I think it works out to be better. 
But I like the fact that Formula One Group's got to take some of the ownership of the promotion of the event. Yeah. And and because that's truly what was lacking in the Bernie Eccleston years was actual promotion and marketing. Right. And we're certainly seeing that Formula One Group is trying to rapidly change that course. They've set up, I don't know if you have seen it, it's called the F1 Fan Voice. It is basically an online community that Formula One has set up for the fans. Discussion boards, blogs, surveys, all of it. Interesting. Yeah. And that, of course, is in addition to the other outreach that they have made through the fan festivals and rolling more of that out. Um, there have been the, the – they, they launched their own fantasy F1 league. Yes, I saw that, but they didn't start it until three game, three races into the season. Yeah, they were late rolling it out, and I think there's other. It doesn't work the same as Fantasy GP. No, it does um, not. We're not advocating a shift over to the Formula One thing. Stay with, stay with Fantasy GP. We like the way this works. It makes sense. It, it, it's cool. We've been there since the beginning of this season. There's that too. You're winning. <laughs> I I wasn't going. It's <laughs> not going there. I did for okay. a moment. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll see. Um, the FIA is still looking to attract new manufacturers into the sport. Okay. And as a concession, Jean Todd, FIA president, who has described the heat energy recovery system that is built into Formula One cars as a, quote, beautiful piece of art, oh. says – he is willing to drop the MGUH in order to attract new manufacturers. Because the problem with the MGUH is that it is really, really expensive. Okay. It's super complex. It's hard to develop one that actually works. Just go ask Honda. Mm -hmm. And several manufacturers, including Aston Martin and possibly Cosworth, have expressed concerns that they would not be able to develop an engine that would be competitive at an affordable cost for them if the MGUH was included. So Jean Todd has said that he is willing to drop the MGUH from Formula One specifications in order to attract new manufacturers. Interesting. Mercedes and Ferrari say, uh, no. We spent a significant amount of money to develop this dang thing. Um, that's not fair. Exactly. I speak total wolf. Yeah. Um, for some folks, uh, in particular Andy Calla, who is Mercedes' director of high-performance powertrains, says that dropping the MGUH would be a backwards step for F1. He says there are four technology companies that have made it work and get 60% of their electrical energy to then power the MGUK. It contributes 5% of the thermal efficiency of the power unit, and to make up the power difference, we're going to have to increase the fuel flow rate, which I think is a backward step. It's not progress. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, we'll see where it goes. I think it's a non-starter, but it'd be interesting. Well, you say that. But again, the specification seems to be leaning towards for 2021 doing away with it. So I don't know. We'll see. McLaren has a new shareholder. They do. They're 
first new shareholder since the departure of Ron Dennis. It is Canadian Michael Latifi, who is the CEO of the food conglomerate Safina. But more than that, he's also the father of Nicholas Latifi. Now, I don't know this Nicholas person. Yeah, I was kind of surprised you reacted that way when I put that out there. <laughs> for starters... Naturally. Of course, everybody knows who Nicholas is. Well, for starters, he uh, is a competitor over in F2. Oh. But more than that, he is Force India's test and development driver. Oh. Yeah. That Nicholas Atifa. That Nicholas Latife. Um, so apparently, Daddy Latife is using the Daddy Stroll method of getting his son into F1? Well, we don't know. According to Zach Brown, there has been no discussions. There is no pressure being put on the organization to give Nick a space, any kind of uh, space on the team. That's what Zach says. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that that, you know, state-of-the-art gym for the drivers with uh, Latifi's name on it will have no strings to have Latifi work out in it. We'll just have Nicholas come over and, you know, show you how to use the equipment. Maybe put him in a car and see how he does. Well, you know, that's and, – and I don't know how – I know – Nicholas has driven Force India's car in testing. I don't know exactly how he did compared to the other drivers and, and the other young drivers. I don't even know how well he did compared to Lando Norris. But remember, Lando Norris is sniffing at the heels of both Stoffel and Fernando. Right. Should Fernando leave, the theory is that Lando is the next potential driver to get called up. Assuming McLaren thinks that he is ready. Right. Theoretically, he should be, quote, more ready than somebody that's actively driving in F2, though. I think, well, Lando's also in F2. Is he still actively driving in F2? Yeah, and I think he's doing fairly well in F2. Okay. Or had been. So, yeah, we'll see where that shakes out. Sergey Sorokin, he says that he is making his life harder at Williams because he keeps crashing? No, it's about his his workload. He says, I'm making my life harder, but I would not say I'm making my life worse. He says, it is really, really hard, and sometimes it's completely flat out, but at the same time, it is my choice. If I wanted, I could spend three times less time at the factory and still manage everything I'm obliged to manage. This is more about my personal wish. I want to be there and help them as much as they can. Uh, Claire Williams actually says that Sergey spends more time at the factory than she has ever experienced with any driver that they have had on the team. Whoa, workaholic. <clears throat> pretty much. Um, Claire says that he's there pretty much every day. That shouldn't be underestimated. It's not just work in the simulator. He walks around a factory and he engages with people on the shop floor. That's an achievement in itself when you are new and there's 500 to 600 people at Williams now. I think it's pretty special. I gotta give him props for that. Yeah, so it's not that. Yeah, he he's making his life more difficult because he's driving terribly. It's because he's really trying to embed himself into the team. 
Well, you know something? I really have to say that, that that's giving me a better sense of him wanting to be a team player. And, you know, we all had questions about his, you know, where abilities. he came from, his abilities, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you got to you gotta say, figure at some level he bought his way into his seat and he's trying his best to endear himself to that so that it's not, oh, well, you know, you're just living off daddy's money. Um, I like that in him. He's now moved up a peg in my opinion. Nah, if only he could, oh, I don't know. Stop driving into walls. I, well, he didn't drive into walls in Monaco. Lance did it. Yes. More than once. Yes. And whined about it. You're never going to get that boy have an inch, are you? Nope. So let's talk Roman Grosjean. Another driver that's having a bad time right now. He is, unfortunately, no points. And all 19 points for um, <coughs> Haas mm-hmm. have been earned by Kevin Magnuson. Yeah. That was a statistic I didn't quite realize this year, but that was a startling statistic. Well, Gunther Steiner insists that reports that Roman could lose his seat are not true. What Gunther had to say, and he was asked about this on Channel 4 and a couple other times he was asked about it over the weekend, but what Gunther said, he said, I don't know where the rumors came from, so there are no rumors. That is the easiest way to stop them. And actually, we said it last week. (laughs) We started one of those rumors. I admit it. That's you. You're just a rumor monger, aren't you? But uh, Gunther went on to say, we didn't even speak about that. Somebody's having two bad races. There's no point to start rumors or to start to do things about it. The only thing we need to do is to get Roman back to where he is capable of competing, which we all know. He's a very capable guy. He had two bad races. I'm not a person where if someone is on his knees, I try to kick him. That's unfair. For sure, he knows better than all of us what not to do, not to do another Baku or Barcelona. But can it happen again? Yes, it could. It's Monte Carlo. Just to stop the rumors, there was never talk about that. I don't know where they came from or whoever brought them up. It was us. I'm not trying to say anything wrong. I think I saw it in one thing, but I never spoke with anybody about a rumor. Okay, let's review. It's not just two bad races. It's nine consecutive races with no point finishes. Nine. Yeah. It is big mistakes in the last two races, but nine consecutive no-point finishes. Yeah, you know, at the very least, no matter how much Gunther wants to say that, you know, Roman had faith in us when when we were a nobody and had nothing, um, at some point you got to ask the question as to what have you done for me lately? Well, I appreciated his response on Channel 4 that was like, Roman believed in us when we had no reason to be believed in. So we are going to return the favor and believe in him. But I think Gunther is thinking only as long as this season. Yeah. So, and we know where these rumors came from. But rumors have been... No, this one wasn't us. Rumors came from the German media that Brendan Hartley's seat may be in jeopardy. Well, he's not doing so great either. 
Um, not just that, but that Pascal Verline may be a candidate to take Brendan's seat. Ooh, we could get Pascal yeah. back. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> so what Brendan had to say was, I was surprised to hear about that because I have a contract, which means obviously you don't know much about Formula One. That contract you, is not worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> you know very little about how Toro Rosso seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, I was surprised to hear about that because I have a contract. I'm feeling more and more confident in a Formula One car. F1 moves quickly. There's a lot of critics, but obviously as a driver, you're, you're your own biggest critic. I had two weekends not completely clean, but in fairness, I scored my first point in Azerbaijan, and for the first weekends of the year, I was ahead of Pierre in qualifying two of three. In the end, I know that I'm a team player. I'm working very hard behind the scenes. I know I'm more than capable. I think I've shown that in the first three qualifyings of the year, and since then, I haven't done a lap in qualifying. Yeah, I don't quite understand that one. He does speak English as his first language, he right? He does. He's a Kiwi, right? He is. That was not English as his first language. But that's okay, because Helmut Marco, Helmet. who his, his title is technically driver consultant for Toro Rosso. Right. Um, Grand Poobah is his other title. Well, he, no, he's, he's not the highest. There is above him. Right. And, of course, I'm drawing a blank at this point, but it's not helmet. <laughs> it's, helmet works for somebody. It's, it's, it's the big helmet. <laughs> anyway, helmet's comment on the rumor. Uh-huh. That's not the intention at the moment. I, th- I think that is almost as damning as... He's a really nice guy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh brendan so brendan when you are let go from toro rosso um i would gladly welcome you into the world of the bloke and the bird you could commentate with us but we don't commentate well Well, we 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 we, before and after we comment not during because we we don't don't want to do that we're we're not offering a a deal like jolian palmer has with the bbc let's be clear jolian only well he does the pre and the post but he does during the race too he does the race as well pre and post time and we pay in pocket lint so just be aware that excellent we we don't pay well he he, he might might, make you some brownies he he might be better off going back to porsche um possibly but he's welcome maybe as a guest spot. Okay. I wish to open the doors to these failing Formula One drivers. They're going to need a spot to land sometime. And why not here? Okay. You need to start reaching out to them. Well, I do. And then you get embarrassed when I do that on the in the pit lane at Indy, in the mid-Ohio Indy I wasn't race. embarrassed by it. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you said at the time. I can't believe you did that. Anyway, moving on. So, if not Pascal Verlin, because Pascal does seem a little odd, the other option is Honda is very keen to get one of their young drivers into Formula One. The challenge is neither of their drivers, who are currently in F2, have qualified to hold a, a super license for Formula One. That would be a, that will slow you down. Yeah, so that's the issue. Um, Fuka. Naira Fukuzumi seems to be 
the leading candidate, but again, hasn't managed I'm sorry, to... he cannot race in Formula One. No one will be ever able to say his name. It won't happen. I don't know. I think that's better than, than having to deal with Felipe Massa and Felipe Nasser. That was awful. That's why we never learned anything about Nasser. Yeah. <laughs> Mercedes, in advance of the weekend, wrote a letter. They did. Passing notes again with Ferrari? Uh, no. But they are using the Ferrari strategy of, hey, we got a question about this. We think we might want to do it, but we haven't decided. So could you rule on it and let us know whether or not it's going to be legal? And then share those results with the rest of the grid just to make sure that they know that doing this might be illegal. Oh. Yeah. So what do they think that their um, rivals are doing that is illegal? Well, the High Performance Power Engine Division recently wrote to the FIA asking whether oil use in the pressure charging turbocharger system has to comply with Article 20 of the technical reg regulations. Now, what is Article 20? I always get that one confused with Article 21. Well, this is the section that covers the definition properties and composition of oil. Article 20 state also states that no competitor may use more than one oil in a given engine during an event. Oh, so you couldn't have a separate oil for the turbocharger and a separate oil for the engine. Correct. The other thing that they asked was whether turbo system oil has to be considered as part of the overall 0.6 liters of her 100 kilometers of oil consumption limit that was introduced to stop teams using oil for power boosting purposes. Oh. So to, to translate that a little more. Please do. Mercedes pinpointed a potential loophole in the wording that could mean the turbo is considered separately from the internal comb combustion engine. There you go. So whether or not oil that was fed into the turbo, and if they could keep that lubrication system separate from the engine oil lubrication system, and then burn, burn the turbo, turbo oil, oil, could they get around it? Yeah. So who do you think they think is doing this? Um... Ferrari is typically who they're directing this stuff to. So, Although it sounds like something Red Bull might pull. For the first question, Charlie said, all oils used in the engine must comply with Article 20 of the F1 technical regulations. The turbocharger is considered part of the engine. Okay. To the second question, Charlie replied, Yes. So let me review. Yes, oil burned through the turbocharger counts towards your consumption limit for the race. Uh-huh. So, no, you can't go and burn oil in the turbocharger or run separate oil in the turbocharger to gain a power advantage. Got it. All right, so let's find out who's doing that so that they can stop. We don't know. And again, they wrote a letter is all we know is that they yeah, asked, yeah, which, yeah. yeah, typically means that 
they believe, they believe some- somebody's doing it. Um, James Allison <laughs> reached out to um, Charlie regarding electrical power usage by Ferrari. Really? Yeah. So Mercedes was eager to get some uh, clarity on the situation over at Ferrari because there's some speculation that Ferrari's battery system could be used in a way that delivered more power per lap than what is allowed by the regulations. So Mercedes says that they were looking for clarity on the situation because, quote, they were unable to explain certain performance characteristics of the car. Interesting. So we don't understand how the Ferrari car is working, so we're going to go to the FIA to have them explain it to us. Oh, okay. Is, I guess, kind of how this worked it. So the FIA opened an investigation, and apparently Ferrari had, quote, difficulty in fully explaining the characteristics of its battery. Interesting. That being said, the governing body said that um, there was nothing illegal going on. Oh, we can't explain it, but it sounds like it's on the up and up. Yeah. So speaking to Reuters, Charlie Whiting said, we had some concerns in Baku that were difficult to explain, and we worked through it with them. The rule book says that it is the duty of the competitor to satisfy the FIA that their car complies at all times, and they were having difficulty satisfying us. Here, we are now satisfied. But then what he went on to say was that some things in the data we could not quite explain. We went through it with Ferrari, and they gave explanations which were not particularly convincing. (laughs) We wanted to really get to the bottom of it And in Spain, they took some measures to make sure we understood it more and that we were seeing things we were happy with. But, yeah, we think it's okay, but we really don't understand what the heck they're doing. But, yeah, it's legal. That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. That's weird. Speaking of Ferrari, if you did not notice... The wing mirrors are st- or the halo mirrors are still there without the missing fin that they claimed was structural and not aerodynamics. Oh, without the not the missing fin. The fins were missing. Well, the top fin. Right. That was structural, not that aerodynamic. If you ask if you ask Ferrari no that everybody else said, Yeah, whatever. Yeah. They got no aerodynamic advantage from the fin that was sitting on top of their wing, on their top of their mirror. Yeah. But it is now missing. Yeah. Um, I did notice when I, because I was looking at mirrors um, in Monaco, I did notice some interesting contraptions people were coming up with to try to get these guys some visibility. Because it looks like even on the halo, there's not a good spot to mount them. And then using the regular mounting points on the body, they have to hike them up a bit. So it's an interesting mirror configuration. And look at Red Bulls particularly an interesting concept yeah so i don't know in 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 your observing of things at monaco yes did you notice the return of the grid girls i did notice that grid girls had returned although i I gotta ask the question they were fewer of them i don't know if there were fewer of them but in terms of the manner that they were being used are they technically grid girls i don't know because there was like two of them that were up on the um, uh, podium ceremony. 
off to the side. There were two of them there. But I saw a grid boy, man, gentleman, holding a number when they were doing the grid walk. So they were well, not just grid girls holding numbers. The, the, the entire group, um, best way to put it, were not being used to hold number boards. They were technically representatives of the race's title sponsor, Tag Heuer. Okay. Um, and were, we saw it a couple of times, at least during the Channel 4 gridwalk. I don't know if the folks who were watching ESPN saw it because I don't know what they carried in terms of the, the pre-race. But in the Channel 4 gridwalk, they were displaying signs that were social media messages to the various drivers. So that's what they were holding up is they were holding up signs that were for the that were messages for the driver. Oh, okay. And some of the women were doing it, some of the guys were doing it. There was obviously pictures being taken for social media uh, between the groups that were doing it. Mm-hmm. But the great kids were still there. Yes. One of which was Charles Leclerc's cousin. Oh, was he? Probably guessing that he was not the one double hatting. Yeah, there was one of the kids who was wearing, on top of his F1 hat, his official F1 hat, was wearing a McLaren hat. Yes. It was McLaren hat or Mercedes hat? No, it was McLaren. Okay. On top of his hat. Um, he, he might not be invited back next year. We don't know. Eh, you never know. But Charles Leclerc's cousin was one of the great kids. That's cute. Yes. You know, something about Charles Leclerc... Le- Kirk that is is fascinating to me. Now, we've talked about the fact that he is um, the first Monaco, Monegasque. 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 That has got earned points in 50-something years, over 50 years, like since the second Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was born in Monaco. He is actually from Monaco. Yeah. Um, But his family aren't particularly wealthy. Yeah, not a wealthy family. This is not a family of bazillionaires like most of Monaco's residents. However, because I guess Monaco is small and the things that his parents did with him growing up, they're kind of well-known in Monaco. Well, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. I have a sense that when you're talking about a principality that is as small as they are, um, I'm pretty sure everybody runs into each other at the grocery store. I mean, I, I would only assume that um, you would easily run into Princess Charlene at the grocery store just as much as Lewis. No, I'm guessing that no. that's not how that okay. works. No. But I was just really kind of blown away. We think of Monaco as being just a world of bazillionaires. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't know if by they weren't particularly wealthy – means that oh they were just millionaires <laughs> weren't particularly wealthy by monaco standards, standards or by or the by rest of the world, world standards because my understanding is those of us of modest means who might have need to do business and have dealings in monaco tend to live in like oh nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would just, into the principality. I, but what I don't know is, you know, we often talk about Lewis's story where he grew up watching the races in Stevenson-Nidge. Stevenhenge. Stevenhenge. Um, and, you know, and comparing him to Nico Rosberg, who grew up in Monaco. And, you know, it's a different world. Oh, yeah. You know, Lewis's dad gave up a lot so that Lewis could 
become Lewis. And, you know, we talk about Jensen Button's dad. He owned a car dealership. Mm -hmm. I mean, these were not, he washed cars for a period of time and that was his living. I mean, we're not talking, they started as bazillionaires. And so I kind of wonder, is Charles is growing up a little bit like that, that he's always sort of been on the, the fence, you know, the public school kid in the private school world or something. Something like that. But, yeah, I, I kind of start to like Charles a lot. Plus, he's a good driver. He, he's a good driver, and I think that's going to be really interesting, is to see what his future looks like in this program. Mm-hmm. So, the race. Yeah, it was boring. There, I'm done. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that towards the end, an yeah. overall reaction to the race. Um, but much was made over the fact that Daniel Ricardo won the race, and this was truly payback for the disaster that Red Bull handed him in 2016. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I don't quite agree. I mean, payback would have been that he'd have two Monaco Grand Prix wins. Well, yeah. But um, but the team admitted that they were at fault for that, and they cost him the win. Yep. They screwed it up, and they weren't going to let that happen this year. It is also, just interestingly enough, um, Ricardo's first and only win from pole position. Yeah, every other win he's had has been from fourth or lower. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. Yeah, so for that, I, I mean, I think he did phenomenal. Um, there was talk, what was it about, somewhere between lap 17 and lap 28, um, he got on the radio and said he was losing power. So It was lap, it was lap 18. Um, there was an MGUK problem that cost him uh, a significant amount of power, uh, which left him being about 20 kilometers slower than the Ferraris on the straights. Mm. And that was in addition to the fact that before that had happened, he was trying to control the pace anyway. He was trying to keep that field bunched up. He didn't want to give anybody a hole that they could pit into. If you had to pit, he wanted folks to have to lose track position. Right. So he was bunching the field up to begin with. Then he goes and has uh, an MGUK issue, which leaves him being 20 kilometers an hour slower. And further on, they start having a gearbox problem. Uh, at the end of the, by the end of the race, he only had six gears available to him. Now, okay, it sounds impressive that he won with six gears out of eight, but you don't ever get into eighth gear in Monaco. True. If you get into eighth gear in Monaco, you're in the wrong gear. Possibly. That's what David Cothard says, and you know I believe everything that David Cothard says. Okay. So under normal circumstances, at a different track, at a different race— Odds are the response would have been, park the car. Yeah. Christian Horner said, absolutely not. <laughs> there were apparently quite a few discussions over at Red Bull about retiring the car, about giving it up. And and Christian Horner said, absolutely not. We are leading the Monaco Grand Prix, and it is Daniel leading the Monaco Grand Prix. We're going to go as far as we can, as deep as we can. And if we blow up the engine, we blow up the engine. Because, oh, by the way, they get new engines in, Monaco, or in Montreal anyway, which is this coming weekend. Right. So you don't have that much to lose. But 
their feeling was if he can hold them off, if he can go as deep as possible, let him do it. We blow the engine, we blow the engine. I think that was a reasonable way to do it because at least if they blew the engine, they knew they had given it its all, their all. Yeah. Now, in the other direction is Max. Crashy. Which, as you had predicted, actually, I think we both had predicted. But I was more predicting. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Max was going to have issues. He repeated his wall-kissing incident of, what, 2016? Which means next year what he's going to end up doing is plowing into the wall at Sandoval in the middle of the race. Well, well, at some point in the weekend, plowing to the wall of Sandoval. Because that's what he did in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> so on years, off, odd years, he plows in the wall at Sandoval, and on even years, he plows into the wall at... Uh, Just past the swimming pool chicane. Yeah, in the chicane. Yeah. Um, it was almost textbook, the same crash. It was. And he is clipped clipped the corner too early coming out of the chicane the exact same point in 2016 that he did it and hit the wall like inches before where he hit the wall in 2016 yep same kind of damage all of it but of course this time he did it in free practice three yeah. which meant that his engineers try as hard as they may could not get him out during qualifying one q1 so he did not set a qualifying time, and he started from the back row. Christian Horner has been quoted repeatedly as saying, this place bites, and he got bitten pretty hard today. No, Christian, I'm sorry. Max is inexperienced and riding on that razor's edge and keeps tipping over and getting cut. I, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of inexperience at this point. I think, I, I think what this is, it's two things. One is that after last year and having as difficult a year as he did last year due to things that were out of his control, he's pushing harder. The problem is he's pushing harder than he should be, and he's out driving himself. Well, I think that's – I think you're right. Um, there was an interview with Max, and I don't remember if you followed this one, um, where he, they asked him about his crashing and things like that. And he says, you know, sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it wrong, but it doesn't mean I should change what I'm doing, <coughs> which I think is a very immature response. And then I keep hearing uh, interviews with Christian that say, Max should totally change what he's doing. <laughs> and I don't think he's listening to that. I think that he's still got it in his head this idea that I push hard, I push people off the track, I, I, I can get where, you know, just head down, elbows out, and push my way forward. And that's not necessarily how this works. There's a finesse that he does not seem to have. Like, or get at it least, right, it's phenomenal. At get least it wrong, he had better in previous years. Yeah. And this year he's lost that ability to read. The... I think the, the true challenge for Red Bull here is, yeah, they've got a contract with him, but even if you turn around and go, yeah, this is too much, we can't take this anymore, and you cut him loose, he's going to end up at another team. Right. So that's the heartbeat. question is, how much do you put up with from him right now to not have to race against him? Yeah. 
And that's a tough call. That is a tough, tough call. Now, I think the, if he keeps having incidents like this, that becomes an easier call. But right now, that's a bad position to be in. I, you know, <clears throat> I hate to say this in my out loud voice, but I almost wonder if they're kind of hoping that he hits a wall hard enough that he gets a little hurt, not massively hurt, but jams his back a little bit or a concussion. Is he concussed or not concussed? Hmm. Um, something that would hold him out of a race. Just don't race for a week and let him feel that pain. And maybe he would come back as a different guy. Well, the, that's one of the things that, that Christian said is that this qualifying in Monaco was really hard for him because he was forced to sit it out and watch the whole thing and know that he could play no part in it. And it was his fault that he could play no part in it. But still, if, if you're, oh, Daniel Kvyat, you've got to be fuming over this because arguably Max's year so far this year was every bit as bad, if not worse, than Daniel's year at Red Bull when he got fired. Well, yeah, demoted. Max has more talent than Kvyat has. He does, but do you That's... really think that Kvyat would see it that way? Probably not. But that's what's holding Max in spot right now. So over to Renault. You know, the strategy was for the weekend for a lot of the teams. One-stop strategy. And if you started on anything, well, basically after that one stop, if you could do it, you put yourself on the ultrasofts. Right. Um, and then went really, really long on those ultrasofts. Carlos Sainz didn't appreciate that strategy over at Renault. Um, he pat he pitted on lap 16 for the Ultrasofts. Um, he felt that the way to go for them would have been to go with the Softs. Um, he was not particularly happy that that had happened, and because of that, um, when you got deeper into the race and Nico Hulkenberg was making his run and, and was told to give way to Nico that. Well, that was because he was on worse tires, and Nico had the fresh tires because he went deeper in. And if they if they had given Carlos the harder tires like he wanted, he would have been better off at that point in the race. You make the best call you can make at the time, Carlos. Well, that's some of it. The other is, well, you know, take a look over at Valtteri Bottas, who was on that very same strategy, and it didn't work for him. Right. He couldn't get past anybody any of the top four who were on the ultras no matter how much lewis wanted to whine about his tires <laughs> and there was a valid point to be made that um the channel four guys did that he's whining about the tires repeatedly and he's not taking into account the fact that because there's no gap behind him if he pits and takes tires, he's giving up track position. He's giving up his podium that he will not get back. Right. So unless the tires were about to explode, it wasn't a great idea for him to pit because nobody else was going to pit. Right. And I think at that point, Lewis was just wanting to be to whine. I think that's some of it. But, Yeah. 
And Renault's position is that they thought that moving to the super softs as opposed to the the ultra softs wouldn't have been any better because mm-hmm. uh, they started on the softs. I was wrong. Started on the softs, went to the ultra softs, skipped the supers. Yeah. He thought they should have gone to the supers, and Renault said that yeah, you would have been in even worse shape. Oh yeah, wow! Because those tires were that much harder to switch on. Mm. So. The only incident we had, and it was kind of a fairly spectacular incident, and it is in one of the areas that is known for causing incidents, over um, at the chicane, the first chicane coming out of the tunnel in the braking zone, um, Charles Leclerc rear ends pretty well um, Brennan Hartley. Yeah. That was a fairly spectacular crash. Uh, I guess. It was a very nice crash. Well, it... He has been found uh, not to have done anything wrong in that crash. No penalty points are being assessed because it turns out that, in fact, his left front brake did fail. It was going bad and getting worse, and at that point, it gave out. He had no brakes when they hit that chicane. Oh, wow. So he was just there for a long ride. Yeah, pretty much. And that's why, um, again, I don't know if it was called out in the sky, but if you look at the slow motion... Uh, he put it into the wall to try and scrub some speed off the car. Yeah. Obviously not a lot, but to do something because he knew it was about to be bad. Ooh. So inevitably when you have a race like this, there's complaints. I have many. Fernando Alonso has said that this was probably the most boring race ever in Formula One. And he should know because he quit in the middle of it. <laughs> i don't know i think he's had more boring races in formula one there was the one that he got some sun up on the hill during... that was qualifying oh yes that was qualifying i'd rather be anywhere but here yeah places alonzo would rather be he said that this wasn't really racing um because he said it was boring there was no safety car no yellow flags there was nothing in it that made it interesting it was just that's where you were. Um, he said, we probably need to give something to the fans at the end of the race just to pay the ticket back a little. <laughs> well, they had a safety car at the end of the race. He would well, have it was a virtual had, safety car, but yeah. It, he would have known that city stayed in the race. But he was already home. Now, he... A yeah. Fernando <laughs> does admit that this isn't a feature of the cars this year. This is just, it's the layout of the track and how the track is. Um, And Lewis also was a bit upset about it. Um, Now, his feeling was, well, take a look at what NASCAR does. And, you know, they'll throw safety cars for no reason at all to bunch the pack up. And then they've got 100 yellow flags to to bring them all together. Um, He said it felt like it was the longest 78 laps ever. Oh, I bet. Because it was boring. Uh, but he was, you know, he was breaking up by whining about his tires. But to put this in perspective, and a little history about Monaco while we're at it, until the 1960s, the Monaco Grand Prix typically lasted 100 laps and ran to over three hours. Mm-hmm. We talked about that last week when I pulled up the last time a Monagast could make points. Yeah. So where did this race come from? Because it is... A really weird outlier. So the race originated as 
an attempt to enable the Automobile Club de Monaco to be recognized as a national lo- as a national club by the forerunner of the FIA. Now they did this because Monaco's Rally Monte Carlo did not take place within the principality's borders and therefore did not count. Oh. So no. the so the only way for them to satisfy the criteria was to host a race on the streets. Um, the layout, the present circuit layout, is very similar to the one used for the inaugural event in 1929. That's what I was going to say: is that they've actually been racing on the streets of Monaco since the 1920s. Um, Grand Prix didn't start until 1950. Yeah. So the president of the Automobile Club de Monaco back in 1929, Anthony Noges, spent months surveying the streets on foot and believed his design to be the only possible configuration. Oh, wow. But what can you do to change this race? The streets are what they are. Right. You're, you're not making them any wider. Now, Lewis did say that he, sp- he spoke to Prince Albert. Po- yeah, yeah. They- Probably at the grocery store when they were buying their shopping together. No, no. They they had a chinwag when they went to get coffee. Possibly. Yeah, sh- shared a shared a muffin. Oh. Yeah. Um, Lewis does not eat carbs right now. Oh. He's totally vegan and he's probably not having a muffin. So, but you know, whenever they so so they were green smoothies they were having. Probably. Okay. He he said he said to Prince Albert the other day that maybe it's time to make the track longer because they're doing laps at 1 minute and 11 seconds. It is the shortest lap of this the entire series, the slowest lap of the series. <laughs> so, but what can you do? The slowest speeds. Or the, the well, yeah, they don't touch a 110 yeah. anywhere. Slowest else. speeds. I mean, they don't top 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it. We've all sped on our highways to close to 100 miles an hour. Now, there is a project that is just kicked off this year. It's going to run about $2 billion, which, you know, Monaco is what they find underneath the the cushions of the couch. Except at the Clark House. Except at the Clark House, yes. Um that they are doing another landfill project. They've done several landfill projects to reclaim land for the principality to make it bigger. This one is going to be uh, about 16 acres uh, over by the entrance to the tunnel, so over at Portal. Um, 16 acres, mixed-use development of uh, civic space and apartment complexes. So the thought is, well, maybe you could possibly extend the track through there a little bit but even still you're going to make it longer are they going to de- would monaco even be willing to develop this area in such a fashion that it would create a passing zone mm. i don't know i don't know but I, I go back to my description of the monaco grand prix is it is probably the most prestigious race on the calendar mm-hmm. and the racing is the worst yeah and and honestly the only way that i could see truly to make it better is to rethink the cars i think that they have to have special monaco cars and go back to the historic cars because if they had narrower cars you could be four across at the hairpin 
I know, instead of Formula One cars, they're like the top end of the carts. <laughs> I bet you the drivers would love it. Oh, I bet they would. I bet they would have a lot of fun with that. Cut it back to, say, 50 laps. Put them in carts. Carts and half points. Yeah. There you go. We have solved Monaco. Problem solved. Yet again, another Formula One conundrum that has been solved by the bloke and the bird. So our last story. Moving out of Formula One and over to uh, World Rally Championship. Oh, this is our warning story? It's a warning? It's a warning to others. Oh, maybe. At least if you're going to drive for Citroen in a World Rally Championship. Okay. Now, one of their drivers... You may remember, we talked about him last year, Chris Meek, and his co-driver, who down in Mexico, during the stage there, left the track, found himself in the car park, Oh, navigated through the car park, and back onto the track, uh, and he hit a car coming into the car park. He's the one that clipped the car in the car park. Clipped the Volkswagen in the car park, drove through the car park, car car park made it back onto the track and still won the event right that chris meek okay so just connecting to who this person is um chris meek and his co-driver this past week were fired by citroen for quote due to an excessively high number of crashes Ooh. yeah so the part of this that i said is a warning to others is you know, maybe some of our high crash drivers should be aware that excessive crashing is a fireable expense, offense. Yeah, the, the statement from Citroen said, due to an excessively high number of crashes, some of which were particularly heavy and could have had serious consequences with regard to the crew's safety, and given that the risks involved were unjustified by the sporting stakes at play, Citroen Racing WRT has decided to terminate the participation of Chris Meek and Paul Nagel in the 2018 World Rally Championship. Wow. Wow. Guess they're not going to take a risk. They'll hit another car in a car park, huh? Yeah. All right. But, you know, Pastor Maldonado managed to, to finish a season. So there's that. And he actually killed a man. Do not forget, Pastor Maldonado, every year that they came to Monaco, no matter what team he was at, got special dispensation to drive in Monaco for the race only because he had a lifetime driving ban in Monaco after killing a marshal in an accident in a junior series. That's right. That's right. That was the only time he could drive in the entire principality. Correct. And on that happy note, let's call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. 
Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. 